You know how we were singing the song that had hallelujah in it? I don't know if you know this, but hallelujah in the Hebrew is the highest name of praise. And it means I praise you greatly, Yah, because in, in, the, in Hebrew, the Israelites, the Jews, would not say the full name of God, so they would say Yah. It literally means I praise you greatly, Jehovah. It's the highest name of praise. And um, so whenever we sing that song, I just love it. Anyway, uh, a, a couple announcements I would like to make is uh, this Tuesday is our adult dinner night out. And if you've never gone to it, I'd encourage you to. All you have to do is be out of high school, and you're considered an adult. And um, everyone chips in for my meal. No, I'm just joking. But um, it's a, an adult dinner night out. It's Tuesday night, and we're going to be at Kirby's Restaurant in uh, Fayetteville um, this, um, this week. So there's a sign-up sheet out there. Make sure you put your name on it so I can make reservations. And um, also... Um, we're going to be having a movie January 18th here at the um, church, and the name of the movie is uh, Connect, and it's a um, Kirk Cameron movie. It's really good, and uh, we're, we're going to have a movie, have pizza and wings downstairs, great time at fellowship, so we invite you to come for that. Is there a sign-up sheet for that as well? And also, the Prophecy Conference is coming up the uh, 25th and 26th of January. That's a Friday and Saturday at Finger Lakes Calvary Chapel, and we're going to be having some just outstanding uh, you know, speakers, and especially in light of everything that's happening in the world, it, it's, uh, it's going to be great to uh, go to a prophecy conference. So please sign up for that as well, and put down if you'd like a room, and if you'd like a room Thursday and Friday or just Friday so that I can make the reservations. I get really good deals. I wheel and deal. You know that? I don't just say, hey, what... what you know, oh, that's good. You know, I, no, how about a little bit better? And I get us good prices. So anyway, open your Bibles along with me to Exodus chapter 20. I'll be picking up where Pastor Frank Jr. left off in verse 18. And let's pray first. Bless you. Father, I come before you in Jesus, Yeshua's name, thanking you so much for the salvation that we share together, a salvation that's free, a salvation that you paid the total cost for, and I pray, Lord, that you would not only um, allow us to just bask in the joy of our salvation, but also to put a motivation on our heart to be evangelists and to share our faith with everyone we come in contact with. And I thank you for your word, Lord. And as we break open this portion of Scripture, I pray that it would be by your Holy Spirit that we have understanding. And so use me, Lord, to minister to these, your precious people, and I pray and ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, as you notice in our fellowship, we go right through scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. Because the only time I know that we're not being deceived and we're not being pulled into some kind of false doctrine or theology is when we're teaching the Word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so we need to stand on the Word of God. And so I was thinking, if you had someone who wanted to interject their own ideas into Christianity, that wanted to establish their own kind of doctrine, what would be the first thing that would come in their mind to do? Discredit the Word of God. And how many times do you talk to people and, you, and they say, well, you know, uh, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. And you say, well, tell me one. And they, I just know they're there. <laughs> and, um, 
or they'll say, you know, the, the Bible, you know, it's so full of this. Or, and they have never read it. When you challenge them, they can't give you any answer. But yet you have so many people that will start discrediting, discrediting the Bible. Even some so-called Christian groups, they'll say, well, you know, the Bible is true in essence. But, you know, you can't take all of it, you know, to be for sure. Or, or they'll say, this is one of the teachings that's out there too, the Gospels, they are the teachings of God, but the Epistles are just a man's teaching of how to apply the Gospel. This is all the Word of God. It's infallible and inerrant. And the truth can be found in it. And the one thing that I know after many, many years of studying Scripture and preaching through the Bible is it is the most amazing book you'll ever read. And I've read a lot of books. I mean, scientifically, historically, you know, theologically. In every way, it is the most amazing book you'll ever read. And so as we study the Bible, take it to heart. And we're in Exodus right now, and we're, we're looking at the Israelites. And the thing we have to understand, that God used the Old Covenant, He used Israel to point all of us to what was to come, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things I, I have been asked as a pastor over the years, and people will say to me, why did God create man? Now, listen carefully to my profound answer. You ready? I don't know. You know, you'll have people say, well, I think God created man because he needed someone to worship him. He doesn't need anyone. I think God created man just so he could have fellowship. Well, you already had the triune nature of God. He doesn't need man to have fellowship. Did you know that it's called the Trisigian use of the word holy? It's used many times in the Old Testament. Holy, holy, holy is the singular Lord God Almighty, plural. It's holy, 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 Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All through the Old Testament, you have the Trinity of God. So anyway, uh, we have to realize that God didn't need man for any reason. Why he created us, he knows. Scripture tells us that there are mysteries that are for God alone to know. And one of the things that I believe that when the Lord takes us to heaven, either at death or the rapture, when we're in his presence, we will know why he created us. But the fact is, he did create us. And he created us for the purpose of worshiping him, of having fellowship with him. And God knew from the beginning that in order to invoke love from man, there had to be a choice. Do you understand that? You've heard me say this so many times. Love requires choice. You know, if you have a man and woman that are stranded on a desert island 50,000 miles away from any place in the universe, and they say, well, you know, I think I love you. There's no choice. You know, of course there. But a better example is this. If I go up to my wife, you've heard me use this example before, and I point a gun at her, and I say, tell me you love me. And she goes, I love you, weirdo. I love you. You know, there's no love there because it's an expression of fear. Love has to come freely. It has to come from the heart. And it has to be with the desire to be close to that person. And so we need to realize that God desires us to love him, which require choice. And the reason I bring that up is so many people say, why did 
God even give Adam and Eve that choice? He said, you know, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree in the center of the garden. Of that day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And then Satan comes up to Adam and Eve and says, actually to Eve, and uh, Adam was there though, it tells us, and uh, he said, you know, did God really say you can't eat from this tree? Oh, we can't eat from it, we can't taste it, can't touch it, or anything like that, or surely we'll die. And what did Satan do? The first thing he did was deny God's word. He said, you shall not surely die. For when you eat of that tree, you'll be as God, little g, knowing good from evil. Your eyes will be open. Now understand that the fruit of that tree, we don't know what it was. We say it was an apple, but uh, those of us that have been in the Middle East, uh, you know, a few times, there's not too many apple trees there. <laughs> Uh, so what, what, it, what, what the fruit was, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But some people think that contained within that fruit, there was some magic thing that would make... There was nothing in the fruit. It was just a piece of fruit. But the point is, God said, don't eat of it. So when man ate of it, he made the choice to go against God's word. That's what caused the fall of man. And so we have to realize that God has always given man choice in order for us to be able to express our love to him. And so as we read about the Israelites here, God was giving them choices, many choices. And all of this was pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. One of the things we're going to find in our study this morning, and some of you this might be quite a shock or surprise, but we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have to understand we're all sinners. And so the very reason that Jesus Christ would come is to put us back into intimate fellowship with him, with the Lord. That's love. That's real love. Now, like the Israelites, um, there are so many of us that make promises to God and then when he holds us to these commitments that we've made, we become either unwilling and, uh, or rebellious, and sometimes that leads us to even be kind of afraid of him. You know, I hope God doesn't see this. I really hope God doesn't know I'm doing that. Well, he does. He knows everything that we're doing. And so we have to realize that because of man's unwillingness to just freely submit to the Lord, Religion became very, very popular. And you understand, as, as Christians, as believers, we're not religious. Did you know that? A lot of people are like, religion is man-made. It's man's attempt to, to achieve a relationship with God. What we have is relationship. We have fellowship by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God reached down to us and lifted us up out of the mire, Scripture tells us. Washed us clean by the blood of the Lamb for one reason, that we might have intimate fellowship with him. You know, you have to understand that the whole Bible is about reconciliation. And that's the reason, as Christians, we're supposed to have a heart of reconciliation. I mean, God could have said, well, man, they, they, they just have sinned too many times. I mean, they've just gone too far now. I'm just going to smoke them. God didn't say that is reconciliation. I mean, it would be a wonderful thing if I was able to say, 43 years ago, 
or how many years it was, something like that, 46? I don't know. When I, came, I always have to look at my wife. She knows all the dates. Like she was, she doesn't, like she was teasing someone, uh, talking to someone before church, and she said, Frank's always saying, that's me, Frank. And Frank's always saying to me, when's our anniversary? And, I always, and she always says to me, just look at the inside of your ring. But the problem is, when you've been wearing a ring for 49 years, <laughs> there's, there's no writing left anymore. But anyway, February 6th, I know it. What a crazy time to get married. We, I was a, um, a senior in college, and I was just ready to do my internship at the Environmental Protection Agency, and I wanted Vi to go with me. And so we got married and, um, at the chapel in the, uh, on the campus, and we had the worst snowstorm you could ever imagine. And I had a 53, no, not 53, it was a 63. What kind of car was that? Do you remember? Anyway, it was an old, old car, and it was snowing so hard, you know, after the wedding, of course, we were going on our, our, our honeymoon was the Holiday Inn in Cortland, because the next day we had to leave. <laughs> and uh, so we're driving to the Holiday Inn in Cortland, no joke, we had to reach out and move the windshield wiper. <laughs> just, anyway, that's, that's for nothing, you know, I just share that with you. But... Um, the point, I, the point I'm making is that God wants us to come into fellowship that's based on love. I love being with my wife. You know, she's my best friend. You know, I, I say this to people, and, and sometimes they think I'm just trying to be funny, and I'm dead serious. I say, um, I not only love my wife, I really like her. And there's a huge difference, because you can love a lot of people, but not necessarily like them. I mean, I'd rather, no offense to any of you guys, I'd ra- rather be with my wife than anyone. And she's my best friend. I just love hanging out with her. I mean, we spend hours and hours together with our grandchildren, too, of course. But um, faith in the one true God and his perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ is what is able to bring us into that kind of communion and fellowship with one another. That's what it's all about. The Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. So we're picking up in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, this is on Mount Sinai. Um, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, flashes, the sounds, uh, sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, listen, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test. And the word there in the Hebrew isn't like uh, take an algebra test or take a final exam. It means to try you in order to see if you're right with him. And it's not meant in a negative sense. It's meant in the sense that, hey, if you're not right, then we're going to work at making you right. You know, when you're trying to build something and you think, well, this isn't quite right, you don't just throw it away. You just try a different way to make it work. So this is the the understanding God has come to test you or to try you. Um, And that his fear may be for you so that you may not sin. That's the whole purpose of it. And let me just stop here for a second. Some people think, well, we're not supposed to sin because it makes God mad. 
Do you know why the Lord doesn't want us to sin? Because it hurts us. It's damaging to us. It separates us from him, but it damages us. I've never had anyone come to me and say, you know what, Pastor, I, I really have been feeling bad because I, I've just been living such a perfect life lately. No one ever does that. They usually come and say, you know what, I'm really under a lot of conviction. I'm going through these hours of self-loathing, and, and I, I just really want to get closer to the Lord. Well, there's nothing I can do, but I can point them to Jesus Christ, who's able to forgive all sin and bring them back into that intimate relationship with Jesus. You're never so far from God that you can't come back to him in intimacy. And understand, coming back to God, like let's say you, you, you've traveled 10 miles. I'm, this is obviously just an analogy. Let's say you've, you've walked 10 miles from the Lord. When you want to come back in his presence, you don't have to walk 10 miles back. All you have to do is turn around. That's what the word repent means, to turn around. All you have to do is turn around, and you're right in his presence. That's the God we serve. What a loving God. Verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Now, why any... Well, you have to consider this. When any individual comes face to face with the power and the majesty of God, it causes a holy fear. That's, that's used in Scripture. I mean, the first time for me, and I imagine for many of you, that I came to a situation and a realization that God is exactly who he said he is and that he is the ruler and creator of the universe. And my eternal destiny, destiny is in his hands. And sin separates me from God. I was afraid. Until when? Until someone showed me the answer. And so when I cried out to the Lord to forgive me and to draw me into close communion with him, he did. You don't have to beg God. Did you, do you know that? You don't have to beg God. You don't have to try to convince him by doing ten good deeds. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Come. And he will take you and wrap you in, in his arms. Now, we have to realize that the holiness of God, you know, makes all of us realize that we've fallen short. And the law was given, and the holiness of God was laid out for no other reason than to show us our condition. For instance, in Romans 3.12, it says, They all have turned aside. They have, to, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And then in verse 23 of that chapter, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even consider the words of Isaiah the prophet. You know, we think, well, these guys were really holy. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So what was his response to that in verse 5? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among uh, a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And that's all capitals in your Bible, the Lord God Almighty. And so because God is just and righteous, he has to judge man according to his sin. But because his very nature is one of love and reconciliation, he himself provided the sacrifice, provided the atoning way 
for our sin to be removed that we might come back into relationship with him. God alone did it. There's nothing we can do to add to it. Well, if I do this or that, it's going to... You know, um, maybe you've had people say this to you, but I've invited people to church, and they say, oh, if I walked in that church, you know, the, the ceiling would fall. Why? Because I'm such a sinner. And I said, well, our church would be gone a long time ago if that were the case. You know, every one of us walks in here and we're dealing with something. And the reality is that every day we fall to sin. It might be thought, word, deed, whatever it might be, but we fall to sin. And the reason that we are so blessed in knowing Jesus Christ, that his atoning sacrifice and his love and his reconciliation is continuous. It's not, you know, his mercies are new when? Every morning. So his mercy is always there to bring us into that relationship with him. And it's a wonderful thing to know that there's only one who walked this earth who was perfect, who was able to pay the full price for sin, and that's Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect, right? And I always share this, and those of you who like sports, maybe baseball, you'd understand what I'm talking about. If you had someone who was batting 500, what would you say his batting record was? Whoa, man. Through the ceiling. That guy's got a great batting record. Do you know what that means? He got on base 50% of the time. 50% of the time he didn't. But in reality, 350 is a good batting record. That means only 35% of the time you get on base. So the point I'm making is in our walk with the Lord, man, we're going to strike out here. We're going to strike out there. But here's the thing. Keep on going. Keep on striving. Keep on walking with the Lord because he never turns his back on us. God is just. He's loving. I love it when uh, we'll be getting to it in a, in a few weeks in, in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. And uh, remember Moses wanted to see the Lord, and the Lord said, you can't see me face to face, and he's surely dying. And so we put Moses in the cleft of the rock, and then just his, his shadow, and Moses only saw his, from him, God from behind. What that looked like, I don't know. But anyway... Um, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is the Lord proclaiming this. The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering. Listen to this. Abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So the choice all of us have in dealing, it's actually two choices we have in dealing with sin. Either we can run to God with our arms open and say, forgive me, Daddy. And I don't know about you. I mean, I had children, and now I have lovely grandchildren. My grandchildren are better than my children. But anyway, I, I, I have my grandchildren, and my grandchildren, I've never had one of my grandchildren come running to me and say, Pop, Pop, and I go, get out of here. They come running to me, and guess what? Doom, they're in, in my arms. And I just love them. So you understand the point I'm making. When you run to your daddy, your heavenly daddy, And you say, Daddy, Daddy, forgive me. You're up in his arms, and he's loving you. But if your sin in pride, and it's always pride, causes you to run away from God, your sin remains on you, and you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable until you eventually turn and run back to the Lord. You know, um, this is why people 
who refuse God, those that refuse to repent. His free gift of salvation, you know, his very nature of reconciliation. People who refuse it, the, the, the truth of God, who refuse the love of God, it turns to they hate God because God points out their sin. God points out their need that they're refusing to, turn, to accept his, his help in having that need met, the forgiveness of sin. And so they end up, they end up hating God. And, um, and why? Because they know it's the truth. How many people do you know that... Um, let me put my glasses on here. Uh, how many people do you know that hate Hinduism, that hate Shintoism, that hate Buddhism, or even hate Islam? They don't hate it. I mean, when, when you hear people talk about Christianity, even in our political you know, stage, but anywhere, you hear, you hear movie stars, you hear people talking about Christianity, it's like, that's Christian. I mean, it's like we're the most evil, scummy things in the world. And in reality, that's not true. As a matter of fact, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light into the world. But why do they hate us? Because the light that we're shining exposes their sin. And that's why they hate us. That's why they hate the Lord. And they make, you know, um, think about this. In every culture, in every language, by the way, just, I just share interesting points that have no value to them at all, but it's just an interesting point. Did you know in the Hebrew there's no swear words? The, when the, the, Israelite, the people of Israel, the Jews, when they swear, they swear in Aramaic. There's no Hebrew swear words. Just an interesting point means nothing. You know, sometimes you're on a game show. You know, it might be of some value to you. Um, but think about this. You have someone, they're, they're working on their house, and bam, they, they hit their thumb with their hammer. Bam, they don't go, oh, Buddha. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because they know that all of these other religions are false. They're not real. But what do they do? They cry out the name of Jesus Christ, the only one who can save them. But they cry it out in a blasphemous way. And um, it's just amazing to me. People respond, of course, in the flesh. And uh, in, so many, in so many ways like this. And they lose their perfect fellowship that they can have with the Lord with someone standing the gap for them. See, that's the whole idea, that God had come in order to stand the gap. And some of you have probably seen this illustration before, is, is God reached one hand, I mean, Jesus Christ reached one hand to the Father and one hand to man in order to bridge the gap, to reconcile them together. And that's the kind of God we serve. And so often people respond in the flesh and they'll say, I don't want a personal relationship with someone. I want someone to stay in the gap for me. Isn't that what the Israelites were doing here? They were saying, oh, oh, Moses, you know what? You talk to us. You go talk to God and you talk to us, but don't let God talk to us. You know, we'll surely die. They wanted someone to bridge the gap. And even today, often people want someone to bridge the gap for them. But the reality is no one can bridge the gap except Jesus Christ. And he has laid everything out for us of what we need to do. 
See, the problem is that we don't want, want to take personal responsibility for anything. That's the problem. We want someone to do something for us. We don't want to take personal responsibility. You know what it would be like? You go to your physician. They run a battery test, and they you know, do all these machines on you and this and that. And they give you a legitimate diagnosis of what your problem is, and they lay out what you can do to take care of that problem. Well, guess what? All your physician can do is give you the information you need. You're the one who has to fulfill the treatment. You're the one who has to go through the process of doing what the physician tells you you need to do to overcome your problem. Well, Jesus is our great physician. Isn't he called that in Scripture? And we come to him, and he goes, except the diagnosis for every one of us is the same. We come to Jesus Christ, and he looks at us, and he said, the diagnosis is sin. Diagnosis for you is sin. Well, what do I do? What do I do? Well, just repent and turn to me, and all your sin will be forgiven, and you'll have fellowship with me and eternal salvation to be with the Lord forever and ever. Now that's up to us. It's our, our choice. And the thing we have to understand is that even as believers, even after we make that initial choice and we're born again, we belong to Jesus Christ, that's still our choice. When my life is miserable, it's because I'm in disobedience to God. And if I turn to the Lord and say, Lord, what's wrong with me? And he goes, you're in disobedience to me. See? Now here is what you need to do. You need to confess and repent. And that, now it's my choice. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us. That means completely cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How awesome is that? That's the diagnosis, and that's the treatment every time. Sin, repent. Sin, repent. And so we have to make sure that we not only have a willingness in our own heart to have that attitude, but our willingness to have that attitude towards others. We want God to be patient and gracious with us, to forgive us sin, and to allow us to have opportunities to repent and to turn things around. But sometimes we don't give that same opportunity to others. You know? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm glad, that, you know, our Lord God doesn't say that. You know what I mean? You know, we, we get saved, we're born again, and, and uh, then we go to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, I fell, forgive me. And he goes, okay, this one time. <laughs> go to him again, nah, sorry. You know, now it's your problem. The Lord never does that. Every single time we confess and repent, every single time he forgives us. And see, one other thing that is pointing out here is people want someone, as I mentioned, to, to span that gap. And that is where the church went wrong many years ago. People decided, I want, you know, we're not Old Testament, but I want someone to stand the gap between me and God. And so the clergy started being lifted up on a pedestal. That's a very dangerous place to be. Because when you start looking to a man to span the gap for you, that man's going to give you wrong advice. And that man can't span the gap for you. Do you ever wonder why, um, you know, clergy over the years wore the robes and they wore the sashes and they wore, you know, the belt, they wore all that stuff? The reason was it made the people feel good. Oh, look, here I am a sinner. Look at that wonderful man up there. 
and he's going to tell me what I can do to do penance and to be right with God. He's standing between God and I. Well, that's not the case. It's not biblical. And that is, will never solve any of your problems. You need to go to God yourself and say, Lord, here I am, a sinner. Forgive me, Jesus. There's one mediator. How many includes, is included in one? One, that's very good. I'm going to start teaching math, have a math seminar here. So there's one mediator between man and God, and who is that? The man Christ Jesus. And isn't it interesting in the Scripture it says the man Christ Jesus? Because Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And it was the sinless man, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin. And he was raised that we might be justified and have the assurance of eternal life. I, Joni, my responsibility, according to the Bible, is to share the word of God with you. Not my opinions, not my philosophies, not my personal theologies or doctrines. My responsibility as your pastor and Pastor Frank's as well, our responsibility is to present you the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, present to you the word of God. Then it's between you and the Holy Spirit what you do with it. I can't do any more than that. I mean, can you imagine if your physician said, okay, now here's the treatment that you have to have, and I'll be at your house every morning to make sure you do it. Well, a physician can't do that. For one thing, there's gum here on the on the back of the altar. <laughs> I just put my hand in a pile of gum. Anyway, grandchildren, you know. Um, or my son, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> but you understand the point I'm making. The, the physician tells you what you need to do. It's up to you to do it. Because they can't be holding your hand every day of your life. And the same thing is true with the Lord. He shows us what we need to do. We need to confess. We need to repent. We need to seek Him. We need to be in communion and fellowship with Him. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in the Word. And we need to come together as a body of believers because we need to encourage one another in the Lord. You know, Moses said to them here in this portion, do not be afraid. And consider what Isaiah said in uh, Isaiah 41, uh, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What could be more encouraging than that? That's what God is saying. And then John the Apostle said in 1 John 4:18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. To one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, when you're born again, brothers and sisters, the guilt of your sin is gone. You're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall flat on your face, but your sin is gone. You're going to heaven. If you died, you'd be in the presence of the Lord. If the rapture occurred, you'd be joining that great multitude in the sky. There's no fear in love. So if you fear, there's a problem here. That's why we need to commit our life to Jesus Christ. You know, I can't encourage you enough. I can't encourage you enough to make sure that you run hard after God. There's a song I think we used to sing. It talks about running hard after God. Because all there is is just joy and peace and being in His presence. And you know, if I want to be close to God... It makes me want to be close to God's people. 
I mean, it's, isn't, it, isn't it awful when you have families and they seem to be distanced from one another because of this and that, and, you know, one child's here and one child's there and one parent's here and one, and they're all distanced from one another? That's not what God ever intended for family. Family's supposed to be tight. They're supposed to be together. And when we're Christians, we want to be together. We want to come together. That's why in Hebrews... Chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, it says, Let us consider one another, the family of God, in order to stir up love and good works, part of the reason for church, stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see that day approaching. What day? When Jesus is coming for his church, and it's soon. It's very soon. Now, a lot of people say, well, I, what day are we supposed to worship on? You know, I mean, well, the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday, the last day of the week. And the reason was is that they were celebrating the fact that God rested from his completed work of creation. You and I as believers, we celebrate, we come together and worship on the first day of the week because that's the day Christ rose from the dead, finishing his completed work of redemption. In the revelation of Jesus Christ, John uh, the Apostle says, I was on the island of Patmos. On the Lord's day, I was in prayer. And often in the New Testament, it's called the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. He met with the disciples on the road to Emmaus the first day of the week. He met a number of times with his apostles that it tells us literally it was the first day of the week. When he fed them in the Sea of Galilee, it was the first day of the week. And so we have to realize that this is the day the Lord's given us. People say, well, can't we worship God any day? Well, I hope. I hope you worship the Lord every day. But consider this. You know, I used to be a teacher. Now consider this. Let's say I said, you know what? I'm going to be teaching biology this semester. And uh, I'm going to be here every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday at 945. But you can come whenever you want. <laughs> or go to anywhere you want. That's not making any difference. No, no. I expect you as my students to be there when I'm teaching. So the Lord has given us a specific day that we can come together to hear the word of God expounded, to encourage one another in our faith, and to really run hard together for the things of God. And that's the reason that we have a day that we gather together. And when we have other days we gather together, it's just just extra. Like our men's breakfast yesterday. And I'm not saying this to make any of you guys feel bad that weren't there. Actually, I am. But uh, uh, our men's breakfast yesterday was over the top. I mean, it really was. I mean, we, uh, let me tell you the title of it. What is a man? That was the title of it. What is a man? And a lot of you ladies are saying, oh, oh I wish my husband would have gone. But anyway, <laughs> what is a man? And it was just awesome. And then New Year's Eve and Pastor Frank Jr., the Lord just put this on his heart, and I think he had reservations afterwards, but the Lord really put it on his heart to have us gather here New Year's Eve. And we just had chairs in a half circle, and, and uh, my wife and my son had their guitar, Chuck had his guitar, and uh, uh, Craig, and, uh, Craig and Linda's friend, had, uh, she had her guitar. We just sat in this circle, and we're just calling out songs, you know, praise songs that we remembered and that we wanted to do, and we just sang to the Lord. 
Man, I'll tell you what. It was so awesome. Frank set it up that it would be from what time? 6.30 to 8, so people could go and do whatever they wanted on New Year's Eve. We were here until 10.30. <laughs> and it was, just, it was just awesome. All I'm saying is when God's people gather together in God's name, having fellowship with one another, the Holy Spirit arrives. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in thy midst. The Holy Spirit comes, and he ministers to us, and he encourages us. Because, brothers and sisters, life is tough. And I'd like to say to you, once you become a believer, you'll never have a problem. Not true. In fact, you might have more problems. But the reality is, life is tough, but we can choose what our attitude is towards life. You know what I'm saying? We can go around. You know what that does? just puts a funny look in your face. It doesn't do anything. No one cares. My father used to say, kind of jokingly, he said, son... Never tell people your problems because 50% of the people you tell your problems to don't care and the other 50% are glad. <laughs> so you go around, you have a good attitude. Have a good attitude. Throws people off guard. You know what I'm saying? Do you ever go to the, 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 I'm getting off, I don't want to go too. But ever been in a grocery line or in a, uh, a line at a, I don't want to say grocery line because my granddaughter's a clerk at Wegman. So I'll just say, like, you're at Walmart and you're, you're in a line checking out, and, you know, and the one checking you out, the person's like, you know, and you feel like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm patronizing your store. But you don't do that. You walk up to them and you say, how's your day going? And you say, I'm sorry about that. You know what? I'm going to be praying for you. And you can't believe how that can turn a person's countenance around. And how many times Vi and I have an opportunity to give people a, a card from our church or to encourage them in the Lord, tell them we'll be praying for them. Your attitude, this is an old book that was written a while ago, your, your, your attitude determines your altitude. And so our pilots know about an attitude gauge. Your attitude determines your altitude. And so if you've got a good attitude, you're going to be flying with the Lord. Even when things, I'm not saying you'll never have problems or things won't be difficult. They will. But you're going to be flying with the Lord. You're going to be where you need to be rather than being bummed out. You know, when I, I, I'm not substituting this year, but all the years that I substituted, whenever I'd go into a class and all the students would come in, the first thing I would say to them when they would bell rang and they were sitting down, this is at the high school, and I would say, put all your books under your desk. We're getting ready to take a unit test. It really wasn't true. I mean, we weren't really going to. I would just say that just to get, kind of get a rise out of them, and then I'd be able to encourage them. Look, look at how upset you guys got. You know, just chill out. And, you know, what the Lord wants you and I to do when it comes to the things of this world, just chill out. He loves us more than we can imagine. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe this? Amen. Father, we come before you in Jesus Yeshua's name, thanking you for the eternal life that we have. And I pray, Heavenly Father, as um, we go about the rest of this day, you'd 
be at the forefront of all of our thoughts, that you would help us to realize that our life is to be lived for you. And only in you is joy. Only in you is peace. And so, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless and encourage each one who's here this morning, filling them with your Holy Spirit and just encouraging them in all of your ways. I pray in Jesus Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends. Have a great day.